The following is an audio recording of the 2013 IBS Winter Symposium featuring Professor Takamato Shigaraki, Tradition and Insight, Our Encounter with the Pure Land Way, recorded on Thursday, February 28, 2013, at the PCA National Council in San Mateo, California. Part 1 of 3 is a paper presented by Dr. Michael Conway of the Eastern Buddhist Society, A Window on the Kyogyoshin Show. So, hello everyone. Um, I'm very happy and honored to be here to speak uh, with you today. Um, I wasn't, gonna, wasn't too sure how the room was going to be set up, and it looks like I'm going to have to stand here and talk to you, uh, pushing my PowerPoint buttons from well, sort of the middle of the room. But uh, I'm very glad to be here, and I've also prepared 20 pages to read, and I know that it can be really unpleasant to be read at for 45 minutes, so I'm going to try not to just read, but to be a little bit uh, explanatory. And I hope that you'll bear with me as we go through this uh, topic, A Window on the Kyogyo Shinsho, Recent Discussions of the Tathagata's two types of merit transference in the Otaniha. So today I will be talking about the issue of merit transference, or directing of virtue, as the term echo is generally translated, and its position in Shinran's thought. But first, I would like to share with you two experiences that have been on my mind as I was preparing for this pre presentation, which I hope will show my motivations for taking up this topic. The first is an exchange that I had with my advisor as I was getting ready to take the entrance exam for the doctoral program at Otani University. As I was reading through the Kyogyo Shinsho for the third time since my arrival in Japan, I found myself growing more and more frustrated because the more that I read, the less I could understand what Shinran was trying to say. I could understand most of the characters, and I knew what order they were supposed to be read in, but I had no idea why he was drawing the conclusions that he was. I couldn't tell you know, what the order of the quotations was all about. I was totally lost. So I went to my advisor and, well, asked him uh, in despair, what, what should I do? How do I deal with this problem of reading the Kyogyo Shinsho? And he smiled mildly and said, you've lost sight of the forest for the trees. Shinran left clear signposts in the Kyogyo Shinsho to help us navigate that work. You need to keep those markers in mind as you read. And he pointed out the passage that we're going to be talking about today. And I'm going to read it here. As I respectfully reflect on the true essence of the Pure Land teachings, there are two types of merit transference the outgoing aspect and the returning aspect. It is in the outgoing aspect of merit transference that we have the true teaching, practice, shinjin, and realization. And this passage can be said to be the thesis statement of the Kyogyo Shinsho. Shinran lays out the argument of the Kyogyo Shinsho for the first four chapters in this one simple sentence. The problem is that these short and simple words have such a rich, complex tradition in their background, and that Shinran himself has reinterpreted them, endowing them with an entirely new significance, that translations like merit transference, directing of virtue, outgoing aspect, returning aspect, make little intuitive sense to us here in California in the 21st century. And this brings me to the second experience that I want to share with you. In my capacity as managing editor of the Eastern Buddhist, I had the opportunity to work on a feature to commemorate the 750th memorial for Shinran Shonin that introduced some of the recent research by scholars in the Otaniha in English translation. In a sense, this feature shows the cutting edge of the Otaniha's doctrinal studies. However, as I worked translating, revising, and editing this feature, I could not help that I've but feel that I was engaged in producing what Galen Amstead's calls English translations for a Japanese audience. My work on that feature is surely subject to his criticism that turning encrypted Japanese into similarly or equally encrypted English, declaring victory and then re retreating is not a form of communication. Um, 
And the shortest article in that feature that I worked on was by Hase Shoto and entitled The Problem of Merit Transference and the Kyogyo Shinsho. And it deals with the issue of trying to understand the two types of merit transference. But I fear that at just 10 pages, it fails to provide sufficient background to genuinely communicate the concept and what is at stake in Shinran's discussion of it to a Western audience. Uh, even to an audience devoted to Shin Buddhism, such as the one gathered here today. So my hope in this presentation is to lay out in plain terms what it is that Shinran is trying to tell us with his use of the terms merit transference, its outgoing aspects, and its returning aspect. I will show that Shinran uses these terms to describe how the Tathagata works in the world to lead us to enlightenment. I will also show that the primary result of the outgoing aspect of merit transference refers to our insight, while the returning aspect, the primary result of the returning aspect is the tradition that makes our insight possible. First, let us look at the basic definition of merit transference and then at Shinran's original redefinition of the term. Mochizuki's Bukkyo Daijiten, which provides the traditional meanings of terms as used in Mahayana Buddhism in China and Japan, defines the term echo in the following way. And for Shigaragi Sensei's benefit, um, I've put the Japanese of some of my quotations at the bottom of the slides, but actually most of them do not have the Japanese because uh, there just isn't space in a lot of these quotations to include it. But the, so the dictionary reads, echo signifies turning over and pointing in another direction. That is, it means turning over the merits and roots of goodness that one has created and pointing them in the direction of enlightenment and such, or giving them to sentient beings. And this definition is quite clear. In traditional Buddhism, merit transference refers to a practice where individual practitioners turn over the merits gained in their practices to other sentient beings, or designate their purpose, saying, this practice and the good that has accrued from it is for the sake of my realization of enlightenment and the liberation of sentient beings. I'm sure we're familiar with this from our, the services that we perform uh, after reading uh, a service, we always end with this, I vow that all these merits be given equally to all sentient beings such that they together give rise to the mind that seeks enlightenment and are born in the land of peace and bliss. At the end of all of our services, we do read um, this, this short verse. And uh, however, Shinran uses a concept very different from this. He redefines this concept. Rather than seeing sentient beings as the subject or source of merit transference, he sees them as the object or recipient of the merit transference of Amida Tathagata or Dharmakara Bodhisattva. Therefore, his definition of the term echo differs considerably from the dictionary definition I've just given. In his Ichinen Tanen Moi, Shinran states, merit transference is the principle by which Amida gives the name that embodies the original vow to sentient beings in the ten directions. Here, merit transference is seen as the principle or mechanism by which Amida works in the world to liberate sentient beings. It is not a practice for sentient beings to undertake but instead the concrete expression of Amida's original vow in this defiled world. Shinran's Kyogyo Shinsho, especially the first four chapters, is a tract written to lay the foundation of this original position of Shinran's based on the scriptures of the Pure Land tradition. As we consider the meaning of merit transference for Shinran, we must not forget that the most innovative and original aspect of his thought lies in this reinterpretation of merit transference from a practice that we sentient beings undertake in, in our quest to become Buddhas to the mechanism by which Amida Tathagata liberates sentient beings and leads them to Buddhahood. By shifting the subject of merit transference, 
the one who transfers merit from the individual practitioner to Amida Tathagata. Shinran clarified that the whole of our religious experience is the product of Amida's working, thereby making Shin Buddhism a teaching of absolute other power, something that was not necessarily entirely clear in the thought of his predecessors. This change of the source of merit transference, however, necessitates a reinterpretation of the two aspects, the outgoing and the returning, laid out originally by Tan Lan. Uh, when the subject of merit transference is the sentient being seeking birth in the Pure Land and Buddhahood, the outgoing aspect can be seen as the practice of turning over merit as one of one's various good acts undertaken for the sake of birth in the Pure Land, while the returning aspect can be seen as merit transference of a sentient being who has already been born in the Pure Land and who is working from the Pure Land and returning the, to this world to liberate sentient beings. Yet, when the subject of merit transference is seen to be Amida Tathagatha, as Shinran sees it, then this traditional interpretation of these two aspects breaks down. Clearly, Amida is not coming to, to this world and going to the Pure Land. However, just how these aspects should be interpreted in light of Shinran's view of the Tathagata's merit transference remains open to question and has been the subject of one of the most heated debate in, debates in the Otaniha's doctrinal studies in recent decades. The article by Professor Hase referenced above is just one part of this debate, and below I hope to provide a fuller view of what is at issue in these arguments. Before introducing Tanlan's description of merit transference and its two aspects, as well as considering the significance of Shinran's reinterpretation of these terms, I would like to try broadly contextualizing the issue of the Tathagata's merit transference from two different angles. First, by looking at some expressions of Shinran's idea of merit transference in the Tanisho, and then by taking a very large step back so that we can see how the Tathagata's merit transference serves to solve the most basic fundamental problem of Buddhism, how to become a Buddha. So, Let's move to the first section, merit transference as expressed in the Tanisho. As Shin ministers and faithful, I think that we all understand the concepts of self-power and other power on an intuitive level. Shinran's words in the Tanisho resonate with us deeply and directly in a way that the great outline of Shin Buddhism that we saw above likely never will. However, Shinran's expressions of his understanding of other power, faith, and liberation in the Tanisho are all founded upon and born of his basic grasp of the true essence of the Pure Land teaching that he describes in that passage. In this section, I would like to introduce three passages from the Tanisho that seem to express Shinran's understanding of the Tathagata's merit transference in simple, direct language. As I said above, the most basic point of Shinran's reinterpretation of this concept is to show that our entire religious experience, teaching, practice, shinjin, and, and realization, is based solely on the working of the Tathagata. One example of this position, particularly in regards to practice, can be seen in chapter 8 of the Tanisho. The saying of the Nembutsu is neither a religious practice nor a good act for the pr practitioner. Since it is not that I practice it based on my own calculations, it is a non-practice. Since it is also not a good created by my calculation, it is a non-good. Since it is nothing but other power and completely separated from self-power, for the practitioner it is neither a religious practice nor a good act. I think that here Shinran says that since our calling of the Nembutsu is not based on our own calculation, but only on the working of other power, it is not our practice nor our good. The Nembutsu that issues forth from our mouths is not a means to an end that we decide upon. It is not something that we choose to do for the relative betterment of ourselves or those around us. This idea that the Nembutsu is not a tool at our disposal for the fulfillment of our needs and our desires, 
but a call from and towards something greater than our limited calculating minds makes a certain intuitive sense. It is clear that the nembutsu that we chant represents something greater than us and that it calls us to set aside our own expectations and calculations in favor of a broader perspective that we ourselves cannot create, a, the perspective of Amida's wisdom. Further, we can see that the very fact that we are able to chant the Nembutsu is due to the coalescence of a vast, major, vast majority of causes and conditions that are entirely outside of our power to create. This intuition that the Nembutsu occurs within us based on the working of causes and conditions that go beyond us and that the Nembutsu changes us in ways that we ourselves do not plan. The idea of other power Nembutsu is one element of what Shinran describes as the outgoing aspect of merit transference. Shinran uses the technical doctrinal term merit transference to describe the mechanism by which the Tathagata provides us with the Nembutsu and the way in which that Nembutsu works within us. Shinran speaks of this same phenomenon in this chapter of the Kyotanisho without resort to the technical doctrinal language that he employs in the Kyogyo Shinsho. So uh, this idea is also apparent in the, Kyogyo in the Tanisho regarding Shinjin as a gift of the Tathagatha. There, Yuyen describes the argument that arose between Shinran and his fellow disciples of Honen about the identity of their Shinjin. While Shinran held that his Shinjin was identical to Honen's, Seikambo and Nembutsubo could not believe that it would be even possible that someone like Shinran could have, have the same Shinjin as their unexcelled master Honen. When Honen was asked to resolve the matter, he replied, Honen's Shinjin is a gift granted by the Tathagata, and Shinran's Shinjin is also a gift granted by the Tathagata. Thus, they are the same. People whose Shinjin is different will probably not go to the same pure land as I. Here again, we can resonate with this statement on a very basic level. It makes sense that in order for us to go to the same pure land, we need the same ticket to get there. Only the same cause will bring about the same effect. And when we remember that the pure land is a land of complete purity, it also makes sense that the cause cannot be the product of our defiled minds, but only a gift from something that has realized absolute purity, a gift from the Tathagata. As limited, relative, defiled human beings, our only chance of coming into contact with a realm of complete, absolute purity and nirvana is through such a gift from the Tathagata. I will discuss this in more detail in the next section, but this question, how can a defiled, ignorant being come in contact with a world of purity and wisdom, is the crux of the problem of merit transference. For now, suffice it to say that Shinran's statement at the outset of the chapter on Shinjin, that as I reverently consider the outgoing aspect of merit transference, there is great Shinjin means essentially the same thing as Honen's statement that Shinjin is a gift granted by the Tathagata. In both, the insight that is Shinjin is said to be a product of the working of the Tathagata within the practitioner. In the Kyogyo Shinsho, Shinran sums up the position laid out in these two passages from the Tanisho as follows. Whether practice or Shinjin, taken together, there is nothing that is not the fulfillment of the merit transference of Amida Tathagata's pure mind of the bow. It is neither that there is no cause nor that there is any other cause. So the, uh, the cause here is the merit transference of the mind of the vow, or, well, Amida's working within us. In both the Tanisho and the Kyogyo Shinsho, Shinran takes the stance that both our practice and our faith are entirely the product of the working of Amida's original vow within this world. While he does not use the term merit transference in the Tanisho, when he lays out his doctrinal system in the Kyogyo Shinsho, Shinran employs the technical doctrinal concept of the outgoing aspect of 
the Tathagata's marital transference, to describe this working of Amida within the practitioner. The Tanisho, as a record of Shinran's spoken words, provides us with direct, even stark expressions of the content of Shinran's insight. But the Kyogyo Shinsho, as Shinran's philosophical treatise, represents his contextualization of that insight within the scriptures of the Pure Land tradition. As such, there the experience of the name of Amida and Shinjin as gifts received from the working of something that transcends our limited abilities is described as the outgoing aspect of the Tathagata's merit transference. The reason that Shinran refers to it as the outgoing aspect is that it works within sentient beings as their Nembutsu and their Shinjin to lead them to the ultimate goal of Nirvana. This aspect of the Tathagata's merit transference leads sentient beings out of this world of suffering and on to Buddhahood, and thus it is called the outgoing aspect. The question then becomes, what about the returning aspect of merit transference? Are there any passages in the Tanisho that express Shinran's understanding of this type of Amida's working in the world? I believe that the following passage from chapter two, where Shinran discusses the tradition that brought the Nembutsu down through history to him is the experiential expression of the returning aspect of the Tathagata's merit transference. And there he says, if Amida's original vow is true, Shakyamuni's teaching cannot be empty words. If the teaching of the Buddha is true, then Shandao's commentary cannot be empty words. If Shandao's commentary is true, how could Honen's statements be vain words? <laughs> And if Honen's statements are true, then the essence of what I, Shinran, say must also not be meaningless. Broadly speaking, the returning aspect of merit transference refers to the working of bodhisattvas from the Pure Land to liberate sentient beings suffering in this world. That is, it refers to the working from the Pure Land directed towards sentient beings, as opposed to the working of sentient beings the working of Amida within sentient beings themselves. In this sense, this passage from the Tanisho describes in concrete terms how the working of Amida's Pure Land manifests itself in the historical world and leads to our liberation. We should note that Shinran, Shinran begins this passage with reference to the truth of Amida's original vow and says that it is the truth of this vow that makes the teaching of Shakyamuni, Shandao, and Honen genuine. In the background of each of these historical teachers, Shinran sees the working of the original vow, which serves to make their teachings conform with truth. I think it is fair to say that the vow that Shinran sees in the backdrop of these teachers is the 22nd one, the vow of the returning aspect of merit transparency. I will come to back to this point later. But let us say that Shinran sees these teachers as entities doing Amida's work in this world. People who, by realizing purity and wisdom in a world characterized by defilement and ignorance, express the significance of Amida and his pure land in understandable terms, and thereby set us suffering beings on the path to enlightenment. In that sense, Shakyamuni, Shandao, and Honen can be seen as doing the work of bodhisattvas of the Pure Land, which is how Shinran describes the returning aspect of merit transference in the chapter on realization. In the Koso Wasan, Shinran clearly states that Honen is for him an incarnation of Amida, born of Amida's wisdom and coming from the Pure Land all of which indicate that he saw Honen as a concrete expression of the returning aspect of the Tathagata's merit transference, the embodiment of a bodhisattva from Amida's pure land, here to bring about the liberation of suffering sentient beings. These three passages from the Tanisho express in simple, direct terms the concepts that Shinran is trying to elucidate using the ideas of the outgoing and returning aspects of merit transference. I hope that my presentation of them has served to break through, at least in part, the conceptual barrier presented by this highly technical terminology. In the next section, I will try to make another charge on this barrier. 
uh, but from a different angle, by trying to clarify just what problem Shinran is attempting to overcome by employing these terms. And the next section is the central practical problem of Buddhism and its solution in the Pure Land tradition. It perhaps goes without saying that the central practical problem in Buddhism is discovering an answer to the question, how can I become a Buddha? The various Buddhist traditions have offered different answers to this question. Shinran's answer to this question can be summed up as sentient beings are made to realize complete nirvana through the Tathagata's merit transference. In order to understand why he answers the central question of Buddhism in this way, we need to take a step back and consider how he understood the relationship between nirvana and sentient beings. At the start of the chapter on realization, Shinran describes nirvana using the following terms. Complete stillness is supreme nirvana. Supreme nirvana is the unconditioned dharma body. The unconditioned dharma body is reality as it is. Reality as it is is the dharma nature. The dharma nature is true suchness. True suchness is the suchness of oneness. Here, Shinran uses many different terms to describe nirvana, but I'd like to focus on this one, the unconditioned dharma body. The word mui, or unconditioned, is used as the opposite of ui, or conditioned, and refers to an existence that is not created by causes and conditions, something that is subject to neither arising nor perishing. That is, it refers to something entirely divorced from the causes and conditions of our phenomenal world. To put it in another way, it refers to something that is completely transcended, transcendent of the conditioned world that we live in. Thus, by definition, the unconditioned is not something that can be accessed by any given arrangement of conditions. Mm. However many conditions and causes one were to stack together, since they are all part of the phenomenal world of causes and conditions, one will never be able to create the unconditioned. This word unconditioned essentially means that nirvana lies hopelessly far outside the reach of us conditioned sentient beings. This is something I've used the term ignorant and evil and limited over and over again. And this, this, this gap between the conditioned and the unconditioned, it's this absolute gap that we're unable to overcome that I think Shinran uses, refers to as our evil or our uh, limitedness. Um, and so it's, it's, it's almost an absolute limitedness. So now let's look at the next part of this unconditioned dharma body, the dharma body. And in the Yui Shinsho Moi, Shinran describes the dharma body in the following way. The dharma body has neither color nor form. Therefore, one's mind is incapable of reaching it, and all words fail to grasp it. Here again, the dharma body is set hopelessly far out of reach, without any way for sentient beings to understand it. So by using this term, unconditioned dharma body, Shinran defines nirvana as an ultimate truth that transcends the causes and conditions of our world, that is entirely without form or substance, and that sentient beings are therefore incapable of conceiving or describing. Overcoming this absolute gap between the ultimate truth of Buddhism and the sentient beings who are attempting to realize it, has been the central concern of virtually all Buddhist traditions since the inception of the Mahayana. The distinctive solution to this problem in the Pure Land tradition since Tan Lan has been to posit the working of Amida Buddha, his name and his vows as the bridge to this gap. Rather than saying that, this, that sentient beings must leap over this gap through practice, the Pure Land tradition holds that this truth takes the form of Amida and Dharmakara and thereby works to bring sentient beings across that gap. Tan Lan sa says that the Dharma body gives rise to the Dharma body of expedient means. 
which gives shape to this truth and displays it in forms that sentient beings are able to grasp. Through this form, which is the working of Amida, sentient beings are thus given insight into the ultimate truth. As is reflected in Shinran's de definition of nirvana above, the Pure Land in the Pure Land tradition, the gap is an absolute one that can only be crossed when the unconditioned takes form and acts within the causes and conditions of our world. And therefore, Tanlan uses terms like the karmic activity of the great vow and the excelling condition. These terms go and en, they refer to the conditions in our world and the karmic causes and conditions in our world. So in that sense, Shinran's theory of the Tathagata's merit transference is a natural outgrowth of this Pure Land solution to the central practical problem of Buddhism. Although the seven patriarchs of the Shin school all agree to some extent that this absolute gap can only be bridged by the working of Amida. They disagree about the extent and nature of Amida's participation in the process through which sentient beings attain light enlightenment. It is well outside the scope of this paper to discuss their various positions on this issue. Here, we should note what is original about Shinran is the fact that he saw the working of Amida in every aspect of our religious experience, in all four dharmas of the Buddhist path, in the teaching that we receive, the nembutu that we chant, the insight that we gain from it, and in the realization of nirvana that is our ultimate goal. Through employing the concept of the Tathagata's merit transference, Shinran was able to show that Amida works as other power in all aspects of our world of causes and conditions, not just outside of us in our teachers, but deep within us, in our very ability to resonate with their teachings as well. For Shinran, merit transference is a doctrinal concept that not only shows how we can overcome this absolute gap between ourselves and Buddhahood, it is also a concept that shows concretely how the figure of Amida bridges that gap between himself and us to lead to the ultimate goal of enlightenment. While the Shin patriarchs left the Nembutsu and Shinjin in the hands of sentient beings, seeing them as conditions that sentient beings needed to fulfill to receive Amida's working, Shinran saw even these to be products of the Amida's working, the result of the outgoing aspect of merit the Tathagata's merit transference. In this way, Shinran uses the term merit transference to describe the mechanism by which Amida works within limited sentient beings, which is what sets his thought apart from previous Pure Land thinkers as a doctrine of absolute other power. Through our considerations up to this point, I think we can now see why Shinran structures the entire argument of the Kyogyo Shinsho around this term merit transference. It's because why he takes it up as the central concept in his soter soteriological system. It's because it serves as a solution to the primary questions of Pure Land Buddhism. How does Amida work in our world, and how can we become Buddhas? In the next section, I would like to turn our attention to the two types of merit transference delineated by Tan Lan and their significance in Shinran's thought. And this has, this is the introduction. <laughs> From here is sort of the main part where I want to talk about this um, debate in um, the Otaniha, and I'm wondering how I'm doing on time. Ha. <laughs> I guess I only have about 12 more minutes to tell you about this. So uh, what am I going to do here? Um, so I, we need to understand that Shinran in the Kyogyo Shinsho, he takes this term merit transference and he rereads it. He gives it a new significance where he puts a different verb ending on all of the, the, the terms, all of the words, all of the times that merit transference is used. He puts an honorific verb ending on it to show that it is uh, related to Amida. 
Uh, and what I'm going to try to do in this section is to show how Shinran's rereading affects the passages where Tanlan describes the going aspect and the returning aspect. And then I want to introduce this standard interpretation and these two, in, two recent interpretation by people in the Otaniha. And I've thrown away my paper and I'm going to sort of rush through this. So in the treatise on the Pure Land, there are, by Vasubandhu, there are five different practices that are laid out that describe how we achieve enlightenment, how sentient beings are able to be born in the Pure Land and through that birth in the Pure Land, how they ultimately become Buddhas. And one, the first one is reverence, pray, second praise, vow making, visualization, and the third is merit transference. And this merit transference is uh, uh, essentially the same as the definition that I gave at the beginning, where the practitioner says this is for sentient beings, this is for Amida, uh, this is for birth in the Pure Land, this is for the sake of uh, being born in the Pure Land and for helping sentient beings. And the way that Vasubandhu describes merit transference, defines merit transference, is saying that the person who wants to be born in the Pure Land discard, refuses to discard suffering beings, constantly vows making merit transference their central function, they, the person who wants to be born in the Pure Land, is able to fulfill their minds of great compassion. Um, and essentially, it's through this practice that the individual practitioner becomes a bodhisattva, is born in the Pure Land, and then Vasubandhu also talks about how that practitioner returns from the Pure Land and liberates other sentient beings. And so Tan Lan describes, he... Uh, describes these two aspects, uh, the outgoing aspect and the returning aspect. And the outgoing aspect means, uh, he says, to take one's own merits and turn them over to all sentient beings, vowing to be born together in that pure land with the peace, the, the pure land of Amida. And the returning aspect means, after having been born in that land, to fulfill the power of expedient means, to turn and enter the dense forest of birth and death, teach all sentient beings and together turn them to the Buddhist path. And so when read in a natural way without Shinran's uh, honorific verb endings, this refers to us going and coming and refers to the, the practitioner going to the Pure Land and returning from the Pure Land. But when you look at Shinran's rereading, and he says very clearly that this practice of merit transference is the Tathagatha, it's Amida. It's Amida in his, uh, his original form of Dharmakara, Dharmakara Bodhisattva. And he says that, how does Dharma, he rereads the passage so that it says, how did Dharmakara perform merit transference. Not discarding all suffering sentient beings, he constantly vowed, I will make merit transference my central function and thereby be able to fill my mind of great compassion. So rather than saying this is a, a practice that we perform to go to the Pure Land, he says this is a practice that Dharmakara performs to bring us to the Pure Land. And that, in, in that sense, this Tanlan's explanation of these two aspects, the outgoing aspect and the returning aspect, becomes very confusing because it's not, it's not possible that Dharmakara is going to the Pure Land and then coming back. And so we're not too sure if Dharmakara is the source of merit transference, who is the aspect? What is the aspect of this going back and forth? Oso and Genso, the so means aspect. So Dharmakara took his own merits, turned them over to sentient beings. And in the thing about Shinran's rereading of the second half of the passage is that he says he uses the honorific on the final verb only. He doesn't use it on the previous verbs about, I mean, here it says, after having been born in that land to fulfill the power of expedient means, to turn and enter the dense forest of birth and death. 
and to teach all sentient beings. He doesn't use the honorific verb ending on that. So it could refer to either some sort of a working of Amida, or it could refer to the individuals who had been born in the Pure Land and who are returning from there to, uh, through Dharmakara's, uh, how do you say, with the, the extra, uh, the support of Dharmakara, um, well, yes, with the support of Dharmakara, they come back into this world and realize uh, Amida's working in the world. So here's the, the question. This, by reinterpreting the two aspects of merit transference and saying that the, the merit transference belongs solely to the Buddha, the question becomes, uh, what does this so, this oso genso, what does the so, the aspect, refer to? Does it describe sentient beings going to and coming from the Pure Land? Or does it describe two distinct ways that the Tathagata works in the world? And essentially, there is now a debate uh, in the Otaniha that takes three different positions on this issue. One is that the Tathagata's merit transference uh, refers to the working of the Tathagata, whereas the aspect, the two aspects, refers to sentient beings. And so in that sense, uh, okay, I think I can go back to my paper for a little while. Um, in that sense, the, well, okay, I'll explain that later. And then the second one is to say that the two aspects of merit transference are entirely the Tathagata's merit transference. There are two different ways that the Tathagata works in this world. Um, so it's not a question of how sentient beings are, are, whether in the Pure Land or going to the Pure Land or coming back. It's a question of the way, two different ways in which the Amida works on us sentient beings in this life. And then the third is a comprehensive stance that tries to see both of these possibilities and put them together into one. Um, and the first, uh, I will call this the traditional interpretation. Um, it argues that merit transference is entirely the purview of the Tathagata, but the two aspects to be realized are entirely within the experience of sentient beings. That is, sentient beings are led to the Pure Land through Amida's transference. They are given the Nembutsu and Shinjin as the necessary causes for birth in the Pure Land. And that's referred to as the outgoing aspect. And having once attained birth in the Pure Land, they are sent back to this world to achieve the liberation of other sentient beings also through the power of merit, the merit transference of the Tathagata. And I've given two different uh, definitions, one by an Edo period um, uh, doctrinal studies scholar monk, uh, perhaps one of the most influential. Um, and here he says very clearly, the two aspects, outgoing and returning, are named in this way in relation to sentient beings whereas the term merit transference is related to the Tathagata. And just to give you an idea of how that comes out, um, in Suzuki's recently published translation, Suzuki says, Amida embodying himself in both infinite life and eternal life reveals himself in two ways, centrifugal and centripetal. The centripetal movement known as oso echo, or the outgoing aspect, is the one that makes all beings move toward Amida and build their ultimate refuge in his land of peace and happiness. The centrifugal movement of Amida is one that makes him, makes all his devotees in his domain move away from him and return once more to their former Saha world and work for their fellow beings who are still belaboring hard under the weighty burden of time and space. This is called Genso Eko. So this Suzuki's interpretation very clearly sees sentient beings going to the Pure Land and coming back, uh, having once been born there. 
Um, and there is plenty of support for this sort of traditional interpretation in Shinran's works. Um, here you see, as a part of the benefit of the outgoing aspect of merit transference, we turn and enter into the returning aspect of merit transference. And that was, means I'm out of time. <laughs> uh, but I'm sort of going to ignore it. Uh, I, I do still have the 15 minutes, right? Okay, <laughs> so I, I promise the next time it rings, I'll stop. Um, but uh, so there is support um, and other support, but there's also support that there's also um, statements that Shinran makes that sort of contradict this view that we're going and coming from the Pure Land. That instead see merit transference to be uh, completely the working of the Tathagatha and that sees both of these aspects to be that working of the Tathagatha. I suppose this is probably the best one for understanding that. Amida's merit transference is fulfilled as the two aspects, the outgoing and returning. Based only on these two merit transferences, our sentient beings made to achieve the mind of Shinjin and the practice of Nembutsu. And here it's very clear that he's saying, based only on these two merit transferences, so Oso and Genso are different aspects of merit transference that make sentient beings achieve the mind, Shinjin and the Nembutsu. So here, rather than seeing it as like the, the extension of our lives, after our lives we're going to be coming back, Shinran in this passage sees merit transference as two things, two different types of working in this world that create our experience of Shinjin, that bring about our experience of Shinjin. And that's the position that Terakawa Shunsho takes on merit transference. His position can be described as uh, stating that the Tathagata's two types of merit transference endow sentient beings with the four dharmas of teaching, practice, shinjin, and realization. So the Tathagata's two different types of working, two different ways of working, create our teaching, practice, and realization. They are what... Uh, Sentient, being, sentient beings experience just the teaching practice and realization through the working of the Tathagata. Um, and so to give us an idea then of how Terakawa Sensei sort of uh, contextualizes this, um, these two types of merit transference, there's this passage at the beginning of the preface to the chapter on faith, where Shinran describes two necessary elements for our realization of Shinjin. And one is Amida here. Um, he says, as I consider the matter, I find that our attainment of the mind of joyful entrusting arises from the mind of the bow selected by the Tathagatha. So here we have Amida's working. Uh, as the mind of the vow, the mind of the vow that occurs within us as Shinjin. And then the opening up of our true mind is made manifest through the compassionate, excellent expedience of the great sage, or Shakamuni. And essentially, we can say that this, the, the working of Amida as the mind of the vow within us can be seen as also echo, or the outgoing aspect, whereas the working of Shakamuni and the, the words of our teachers outside of us, the, the words of our teachers that call us to uh, say the name can be seen as the returning aspect of merit transference. And in a sense, um, that's what Terakawa Sensei says. He says, the outgoing aspect is the working of the mind of the vow that endows us with the Nembutsu Shinjin and ultimately Nirvana, whereas the returning aspect is represented in the teachings of Shakyamuni and the other teachers of the tradition. And here, uh, he points especially, Terakawa Sensei points especially to passages uh, praising Honen in the Wasan, which talk about Honen as having come from the Pure Land, having been born again from the Pure Land, um, and working 
in this world providing us with uh, teachings um, and to doing the work of Amida in this world. Uh, so, and there you see uh, Honen as the returning aspect of merit transference. And this gets criticized by Hase Shoto-sensei, the guy whose article I translated. And essentially what Hase-sensei says is that by make, saying that the only place that we can see the working of the Tathagata as Genso Eko, as the returning aspect, by limiting that to our teachers, to the people who give us the teachings, then all of the other things, all of the other aspects of this world, you know, whether it be art, culture, uh, all human culture, art, history, literature, all of these things that can, in a sense, foster our insight, all of these various workings um, get thrown off as being meaningless to our realization of Shinjin. In a sense, it, it's Terakawa-sensei's position risks falling into dogmatism and to a sort of absolutization of our teachers without looking at a broader, the broader significance of human culture. So Hase-sensei says that the returning aspect of the Tathagata's merit transference should be seen more broadly, not just confined to the teachers of the tradition, but in all aspects, all working that leads us to, say, the Nembutsu. The problem with this is without the teacher, uh, you know, we can't get started in the first place. And so uh, it's important to recognize both the, the role of the teacher and also the role of these various other aspects of human culture. Um, and that's why Hase-sensei definitely does not entirely discount Terakawa-sensei's position. He says it's important to admit that the most central aspect of uh, the returning aspect of merit transference should be seen as our teachers giving us the teachings, but to allow for some leeway that sees that working in other places as well. Um, and so I guess I'm just going to sum up uh, where we can say that the outgoing aspect of merit transference, as we've seen, can be said to be the source or essence of our insight. You know, what brings about our Shinjin, which is the source of our insight. Um, and then the returning aspect of merit transference can be said in large part to be the tradition that awakens us to the Nembutsu, the calling voice that leads us to the Nembutsu. And so now I, I pretty much have to stop talking. Um, and actually, I have to stop talking in English and start talking in Japanese uh, because I am supposed to uh, read a summary of this paper to Shigaraki-sensei. And we did meet before uh, the... Uh, we met before and had lunch together. So I did explain to some extent what I had to say in this uh, presentation, but I probably should at least read this last paragraph here, uh, this opening paragraph. Uh,先生、えっと、本発表において、ヘトシンランショーニーの協業新書におけるカダイを明確にするためにゼンヨンカンの議論の中核をなす二種エコを取り上げて。他人において親鸞のエコーの思想がどのような形で表されているのかということを明らかにしました。で、次にその角度を変えてエコーという共学的概念によって親鸞が仏教の実践における
歯について、まあ、尋ねていきました。で、最後にこの寺川先生と長谷先生の説を中心に、まあ、親鸞の西尾栄光理解をめぐる近年の大谷派の教学の議論の、まあ、紹介しました。で、全体を,全体を通して、本日のテーマに即して、この大相栄光と幻想栄光を語るならば、大相を、まあ、自覚、インサイト。で幻想を伝統というところに、まあ、見ることができるということを、まあ、論じていったわけです。で、まあ、初めにのところでは、まあ、この「協業新書」を3回目読もうとした時に、まあえー、と何をおっしゃろうとしているのかわからないがために絶望して、まあ、安富先生指導教員の安富先生のところに。相談に行ったところで、まあ、気を見て森を見ずということを言われまして、えー、とこの親鸞上人の、まあ、教行新書の中で、まあ、示されている道しるべに十分注意して読むべきだということを言われまして、えー、と今日の巻の初めの「まあ、新種対抗」と呼ばれる文章を指摘されました。で浄土真宗を二種のエコーと教業省の司法によって語るこの門は教業新書全体のテーゼを述べていると言っていいほど大切な文章であるがそこにあるエコー王相幻想という言葉が難解で親鸞がその言葉で何を言おうとしていることは、まあ、必ずしも明確ではないですね。で特にその概念が、まあ、英語圏で十分理解されるためにかなりの努力が、まあ、必要のように思われます。まあえー、とで去年、長谷先生の、えー、と原稿を翻訳してそのイスタンブル紙に載せましたがその編集と翻訳の過程で、まあ、日本人のための英訳という批判の言葉をまあえっと、ずっと感じながらその痛感しながらその、まあ、翻訳、まあ、編集をやっていったわけです。でこの2つですね親鸞承人のとっても大事にしているこの教えと、まあ、それを英語でどのように語るべきなのかということを、まあ、あの克服することを、まあ、一つ視野に入れて。まああのこの発表をまあ書いたわけですけれども、まあ、なんでこの「単二章」を取り上げて、まあ、いわば我々のまあ読んでいる文章の中でまあ共感できるこの言葉でこのエコーが現れているということをまあ説明しようとしていたわけです。でまあそ,そういう意味でまあえっ、ー、と何と言いましょうかえっ、ー、とまあ、共感できる、まあ、人に通じるような形でエコーの概念を、まあ、言い直すつもりでこの「単二章」の論述を取り上げてで次にその第 2, 2章の中で、まあ、この断絶ですね。あの主張とえっと、涅槃との断絶を、まあ、乗り越えるために、まあある、まあ、のは、まあ、如来のエコーですね。如来のエコーがなければ、まあ、その断絶を乗り越えることは、まあ、不可能だということを、まあ、指摘してでだからこそ親鸞上人がエコーという概念を用いてでエコーという概念を用いることによって、まあ、よりあの直接的にですねその我々の真と行の中に如来の働きを見出すことがあのできた、まあ、そその働きをそこまで見ることができて、まあ、いわば「他力教」の徹底を、まあ、あのできたということを、まあ、論じたわけです。で第三節の中で、まあ、ちょっとあのまあ、この伝統的な、まあ、主張の層の上にあの主張の性の層の上に幻想王相を見るということだけじゃなくて、まあ、この
主張の信じの成り立たせる、まあ、2つの働きの形態として王相と幻想を見ることを、まあ、近年の議論の中で大谷派で提案されていますから、まあ、その2つの,あの考え方寺川先生と長谷先生の考え方を紹介して、まあ、このような、えーとまあ、王相のエコーは、まあ、我々の自覚のまあ、根源我々の自覚のまあいわば本質でありで幻想エコーがまあその信心その自覚を促す伝統の言葉にまあ見ることができるまあその大半の底に見ることができるというふうにまあ述べてきたわけですで多分あのはい and now I'm entirely out of time and I thank you very much for your patience and for your attention and I hope I have a feeling that the part that I wasn't reading was more understandable than the part that I was reading which makes me wonder what I was thinking <laughs> but anyway thank you very much and